there's renewed interest and growing optimism for the Indian market. Will the U.S. government find another last-minute resolution? In today's episode, Portfolio Managers Matt Montemuro, Omkar Malkar, and your host, Mackenzie Box, explore the potential repercussions of the latest political standoff. They also discuss India as an attractive emerging market, mortgage-backed securities, and secular growth trends in healthcare. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFs.com. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in each and every week and providing your comments and questions. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, in product of BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Matt Montemiro and Om Karmalkar, who are with me both on the PM desk for our ETF solutions. So thank you, Om and Matt, for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Mackenzie. Thanks, Mackenzie. All right, well, let's dive in. Something that's very topical right now, Matt, we'll pass this one to you. The U.S. is coming up to their October 1st deadline that could result in a government shutdown. Can you walk us through what exactly is happening and if there's any historical precedents and what we should expect from the markets? Yeah, absolutely, Mackenzie. And you know, while the U.S. does seem to be working hard to find a, a compromise, maybe a, a last-ditch solution, you know, it does look like the government will officially shut down on October first. The two sides continue to disagree on many issues. With I would say the two main sticking points being border security and uh, funding for uh, the war in the Ukraine. It's still possible that they come together on a short-term resolution, maybe kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, uh, or agree on some sort of bipartisan solution. But, you know, I think given the current political climate, it does seem unlikely. And I think a lot of market uh, participants are expecting at least a short shutdown starting uh, basically this weekend. So if we look historically, you know, government shutdowns have been reasonably short, actually. You know, they've averaged uh, eight days and in the median of four days. So, you know, unlike debt ceiling standoffs, you know, these government shutdowns, they, they do happen. They tend to be short lived and they tend to have actually less of an impact to the overall economy. They definitely impact government workers. Uh, you know, this could put uh, a percentage of, of the American people in a difficult uh, position to make ends meet. You know, that might have, uh, you know, some impact on, on growth and spending. You know, some people are worried that a prolonged shutdown could be the turning point in the economy. But I think if you look historically, you know, from an economic lens, from a high level perspective, you know, generally government shutdowns end with very little impact. It's just kind of more noise than anything. You know, uh, an important point, though, to remember, a government shutdown does not impact interest or coupons paid on U.S. Treasury debt. So it's not the same as the debt ceiling standoff that we had in, in earlier this summer in June. You know, that would have had an immediate impact on the Treasury's ability to pay coupons. That we're not there, that that's not what this situation is about. So the expectation should be that U.S. Treasuries that will continue to pay their coupons, 
trade status quo. So it's a little bit of a different situation. I think when we hear shutdown, we kind of maybe lump it all in the same category. This is different. I think overall, it's probably less impactful. Um, but so, you know, if even though it's less impactful, it can have an impact. So what can we expect in terms of that impact? So high level, uh, you know, little impact, which is good you know, mainly an annoyance and a, and a bigger annoyance to those directly involved, those workers that are, that are, that will be without pay for, you know, a potentially prolonged period of time. You know, we already saw U.S. Treasury or U.S. debt get downgraded to double D plus by Fitch earlier uh, in the summer. And this kind of just further adds to potential risk in U.S. Treasury debt. You know, in their initial statement, when they did make the downgrade, uh, they did say that it was made due to uh, increased risks, especially, and this is a quote, the erosion of governance that has manifested in repeated debt limit standoffs and last minute resolutions. You know, it sounds about exactly what we have here. You know, Fitch identified that this political uncertainty, you know, this constant uh, political jockeying where, you know, we use these sh- uh, debt ceiling and we use these sh- uh, shutdowns as uh, as a way of political capital, you know, that just kind of leads to some more political unpredictability. Uh, and that seems to continue to plague the, the U.S. You know, so, you know, I do think this is a fringe concern. You know, so, for example, you know, U.S. Treasuries might be more risky right now, you know, given that they're, you know, double A, sorry, double A plus rating versus triple A. They may be more risky than they were a year ago, but they're still considered the safe haven asset. So, you know, until that changes, Yes, it's topical. Yes, it's something to discuss. But I think overall material change, I don't think there's much. You know, other impacts, we could see treasuries, especially short-term treasuries, rally as, as uh, this could, there could be some risk-off sentiment, especially if this does prolong um, to quite, quite a bit of time, well into October you know, generally that would that would lead investors kind of risk off, move into the safe haven asset, which would be U.S. Treasuries. So short term, if you did want to trade this, you and you think that this is going to be a longer shutdown than than expected, you know, I would look at things like ZTS or U.S. Short Term Treasury ETF and ZTM or BMO U.S. Midterm Treasury ETF to perform well over the short term during this period. So you know, a longer show, uh, a, a longer shutdown. A, a risk-off sentiment that would be both a positive for both these treasury products. At the same time, I think this also could help uh, offset some of the rising yield pressure that we've seen in the market lately. You know, we have heard uh, from the Fed and their their higher rates for longer narrative is really getting cemented. We're seeing longer term rates uh, move up as a result, leading to some underperformance in fixed income. You know, this could be a little bit of a balancing act as uh, potentially flows move into treasuries, kind of balancing some of those uh, rate hikes. So that could be an unintended consequence and actually a positive for fixed income, uh, you know, if that was uh, if that was the reaction. But I think that, again, that is more short term. That's if you're looking to trade on this idea in the short term, not necessarily any long term effects. The other impact that I could see if this does continue is that this would impact actually financial reporting and economic reporting. And, and, and for example, the big report that we, we often highlight is CPI. So, you know, if this does drag on into October, you know, the October CPI, the November CPI numbers could be delayed, uh, potentially could just be, they could just be not run for the specific month. 
which is very interesting in an environment where you know we are looking and we're hanging on every CPI print, you know, every word we're looking deep into every number. So it's it's going to be an interesting in that type of environment where if we have this shutdown that then prevents us from being able to get any sort of CPI data. All that tells me is that you know if that does happen, you know it'll it'll lead to more uh, uncertainty, more volatility in the market. You know, I think that that's not, you know, we, we, we thought we we're going to have a volatile market and this will just add to it. So, you know, not a not a great sign. And, you know, we always want to be able to, to look at our economic data and see where we're at. And although we're moving in the right direction with inflation, you know, we have seen surprises of late. So, you know, not having the data for the month, I think the market would react negatively to that. And, and I think that'll just bring volatility. So, you know, that would be the other thing to consider. Again, I don't think it's a huge uh, huge impact, but you know it does have some downstream effects on on market participants and the market as a whole. Great, thanks, Matt. Amid high interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over seven percent. The BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF ticker ZWU provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials, presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. And lastly, the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZWU, ZWB, and ZWC. We're going to pass the next question to you. Amidst the backdrop of global economic uncertainties, can you dive into India's unique position in the marketplace? And what are the primary factors that really set India apart in today's economic landscape? And what does this mean for potential investors in the Indian market? Yeah, for sure, Mackenzie. India's equity market for 2023, you know, they have witnessed a notable resurgence uh, which has signified investor confidence. And what I mean by that is we have seen foreign inflows into the Indian equities, which have reached all-time highs for a year to date. But, you know, this is more substantial if you look at just 2022, where there were substantial outflows, which were experienced by the uh, equity market in India. However, you know, if you just look at 2023 and going forward, what has changed is, you know, there's renewed interest and growing optimism uh, for the Indian market. And it's mainly driven by a few factors. First is if you look at GDP growth and infrastructure uh, attraction. So India's GDP expanded by 7.8% on an annual basis in the June quarter, accelerating from the previous quarter's growth rate of 6.1% which is significantly higher than several major economies such as US, Canada, Europe, and China. So making it a very compelling prospect for investors seeking growth opportunities. Second, you know, India's commitment to enhancing its infrastructure uh, to support its fast-growing economy continually attracts multinational corporations, which has contributed to overall economic development uh, across all of India. Uh, you know, talking about attracting multinational corporations, we have seen investment inflows, uh, you know, India's strategic moves to diversify away from China, which has resulted in a surge of investments, you know, for example, global companies such as Apple, Amazon, Samsung, 
you know, they have come into in India and invested in infrastructure uh, there. And this is mainly, you know, due to them seeing India as a formidable alternative for manufacturing and diversifying their own risks away from China. And because of that, we have seen the availability of skilled labor and competitive labor costs in India, which make it an, a very attractive destination for manufacturing. Furthermore, you know, China's slower than anticipated economic recovery this year has added more momentum to Indian equities and, you know, increasingly to the overall growth story of India. Thirdly, the PMIs, which is the Purchasing Managers Indexes, they have demonstrated remarkable stability uh, since their initial sharp rebound post-COVID. So within the Indian manufacturing PMI, they were at 58.6 as of August, and the services PMI were at 60.1, much higher than some of the developed economies PMI numbers uh, we have seen recently. And this data just goes on to further suggest that it's a much more resilient economy with strong manufacturing and service sectors. Another one is growing domestic market and middle-class expansion. India's economic resilience is underpinned by a robust domestic market. So we have seen urban demand within the country grow and projected to rise. But, you know, we have also seen a focus on rural consumption, you know, given the significant contribution that population makes to the economy, mainly through agriculture. On top of the middle class, you know, India has one of the fastest growing middle class and this expansion in the middle class has contributed to robust demand in several areas. You know, particularly we can see a very good example is the aviation sector in India, which, you know, there has been a lot of investment, not just in building new airports, but enhancing regional connectivity. So it could be airports, it could be train stations. Uh, and so we, with that, we can see more movements uh, uh, within uh, economic growth within, uh, within India. And finally, I'll just say, you know, they have a strong banking sector. You know, the Indian banking sector is a pillar of strength. They're characterized by well-capitalized banks with strong uh, adequacy ratios, well above the regulatory requirements set by the government there. And this, you know, robust capital positioning provides them with a buffer against some of the global banking turbulence we had witnessed uh, pre in the previous few months, particularly in Europe and, uh, and the U.S. These factors, again, you know, that's why these factors position India in a, as an attractive destination, I would say, for investors who are looking for long-term growth prospect. You know, in the short term, there could be noise. And given that it is an emerging market, country, uh, you know, there are always risks associated with that, uh, you know, mainly political risks. However, for clients who are looking to get this exposure, who are looking to have this within the portfolio for medium to long term, and, you know, it's a good, uh, good, attractive way to play the emerging market environment. And one way they can do that is through ZID, which is the BMO MSCI India ESG Leaders ETF. So, you know, just to summarize, you know, Strong GDP growth, robust banking sector, uh, favorable business environment, both domestically and international investments. Uh, so, you know, we think that India is an attractive destination uh, for investors looking for that long-term growth prospect. Great. Thanks, Om. 
Matt, we'll pass the next question to you. Uh, something we continue to get questions about is our BMO Canadian MBS Index ETF, ticker ZMBS. Can you maybe speak on that and why are, are investors now looking to add this exposure? And can you maybe walk us through the portfolio construction and the type of exposure investors would expect to receive? Yeah, ZMBS continues to come up in conversations with with investors. Uh, I think it's very topical for the market. It's it's uh, you know I think investors are looking at it as a risk off tool that allows you to maximize your yield while maintaining basically the utmost quality within your portfolio. It's you know it's often to, difficult to have. The trade, you know, normally it's a trade-off between quality and yield, and ZMBS actually provides a little bit of both categories there, and I think a lot of investors are are starting to see that and and, and taking take advantage of it. So, you know, invest uh, investors have traditionally looked at an exposure like ZFS, for example, so the BMO Short Federal Bond ETF in a risk-off environment, and I think a lot of those investors are considering ZMBS as an alternative to it. So, you know, why why would that be the case? Why are they looking at it? So, you know, it, it enables investors to earn additional 50 basis points of yield for basically the same credit profile and quality. You know, so ZMBS provides diversified exposure to the Canadian mortgage-backed security market. Uh, specifically, you'll be getting exposure to NHA 975 mortgage pools. And what that means is those are 100% CMHC insured, five-year fixed rate residential mortgages. And since those pools are all 100% CMHC insured, there's an explicit guarantee by the federal government, which gives it a AAA rating. And it's the same. So basically, it is the same credit profile, the same rating, uh, and the same exposure as a government of Canada, a federal bond. So investors are saying, okay, well, if I'm getting the same exposure and pocketing an additional 50 basis points of yield, that, that seems like a very, very attractive trade-off or alternative for someone who's looking to risk off in the market, who, who wants to put on a risk off trade, maybe de-risks their portfolio, improve the quality. So I think that's an excellent alternative. Uh, it's got a uh, it, it helps investors meet their income needs while it, it but while not forcing them to uh, move down the credit curve uh, into lower quality uh, or more corporate exposures. The duration around two years, so it's similar to ZFS in that way. And the current yield, uh, the yield to maturity is around five point one percent. So you're still hitting that five percent hurdle. Two year, you know, very little interest rate sensitivity, but you're getting that AAA rating, which is very attractive for a lot of investors. So you're really getting stability and yield enhancement within a single exposure. You know, on top of that, I think there's an added benefit here for taxable investors. And this is why we're seeing uh, a lot of investors ask and inquire about it. You know, I think uh, in the current market, uh, you know, tax is always a concern for, for a lot of fixed income investors. Uh, and for ZMBS, uh, an extremely attractive aspect of it is that the yield is extremely tax efficient. So why is that? So uh, ZMBS has a coupon of 0.98%, uh, so 98 basis points, and the yield to maturity is 5.08%. So let's review again. Let's go take a step back. How is How do taxes work uh, for fixed income? The coupon you earn 
will be taxed as income, which is a more punitive rate. And the difference between that coupon and yield to maturity, so in this case, that's 4.1%, that will be taxed as capital gains, as you'll see NAV appreciation as the bond prices or the MBS prices will move from a discount to par and they'll start to pull toward par at maturity. So in this case, this will lead to this could lead for taxable investors to an additional 1% of after-tax return uh, versus the equivalent security with a coupon that matches the yield to maturity. So you're getting a yield above 5%, but it's extremely tax-efficient yield. So you know it's a double win here for investors who are looking to de-risk and have taxable considerations on their mind. You know, ZMBS fits that that whole uh, very, very well. Uh, within a portfolio, again, providing that AAA exposure, but providing a tax efficient yield relative to other securities. So you know, I think a lot of uh, investors are looking at ZMBS. It probably has one of the biggest um, coupon to yield to maturity differentials in the market. And again, it provides that AAA exposure that a lot of investors uh, need and require. So, you know, this is something that is coming up almost every day in conversations as investors really brace for the volatility ahead and want higher quality exposures without having to necessarily give up too much in terms of yield. So I think ZMBS is extremely well positioned and we continue to see investors uh, move their portfolios or move a segment of their portfolios into ZMBS as an alternative. Great. Thanks, Matt. That was very insightful. Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's Money Market and Ultra Short-Term Bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS. And last but not least, Ohm, uh, it's been quite the year for the healthcare sector. Many healthcare companies have lagged the broader market. Uh, maybe you can dive into what's driving this underperformance and what the outlook for the sector is looking ahead. Yeah, as you mentioned, the healthcare sector has faced quite a challenge uh, this year, trailing behind the broader market. This year, the S&P 500 healthcare sector has lagged the broad market by approximately 16% year to date. And there are a couple of key reasons behind this performance. Firstly, you know, I'm just going to say AI, 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 uh, right? So we've seen or we have witnessed the shift in investor sentiment favoring tech and consumer sectors, so consumer discretionary sectors. So the adoption of AI technology fueled a growth rally, which prompted a shift from traditionally more defensive or stable companies or sectors such as healthcare to more growth-oriented sectors and companies. Secondly, the sector had to grapple with weaker financial results as we emerged from the pandemic, and largely because due to the pandemic, there were really high bars set uh, for earnings. So we saw strong revenue and earnings from healthcare companies in the previous two years, which was mainly driven by demand for COVID-19-related products. So you had the vaccines, then you had the pills, then you had vaccine or uh, COVID testing kits. However, you know, 2023, we've seen the global situation improve in this regard, and the demand for vaccine and the testing kits has dampened. In the recent earnings season, we did see a decline in earnings much higher for 
healthcare companies versus other S&P 500 sectors. That being said, you know, we do see uh, pockets of strength within the sector. So for example, we saw health insurance, uh, they had a strong earning increase year over year. Uh, a lot of it can be attributed to the rising interest rate, but again, it, it shows that there are segments within the sector that are doing well. Another uh, another sec a subsector within uh, healthcare that has done well is the medical device companies, you know, and that's mainly because we have seen elective surgeries come back. So we've seen a lot more customers going and doing elective surgeries that were not being done during COVID uh, during COVID nineteen and the lockdowns. Uh, as we look forward, the outlook, I would say, is optimistic for the overall sector, and that's mainly due to a few factors. First, I would say, is secular growth tailwinds. And what I mean by that is companies that are investing in or researching in oncology, so cancer research, diabetes or obesity, so pharmaceutical and biotech companies, you know, there's a lot of growth in that area. And we have also seen strong demand in kind of the obesity treatment and uh, treatment or drug market. Uh, you know, there was an article that said that there, you know, the obesity market is will grow to about 50 to 100 billion by 2030. So there, there is a lot of demand for these kind of drugs and companies that are working on, on these drugs have a, have a lot of potential to capture a lot of that market. Finally, I'll just say, you know, investors who are looking to get exposure in the space can get it through a couple of ETFs. First would be ZHU which is the BMO Equal Weight U.S. Healthcare ETF, ZUH, which is the same as uh, ZHU, but it's the BMO Equal Weight U.S. Healthcare ETF hedge to CAD. So for investors who don't want to have that currency exposure uh, within their portfolio, and uh, for clients who are looking for a more income-focused uh, income ETF, ZWHC, which is the BMO Covered Call Healthcare ETF. Lastly, I'll just say, you know, healthcare sector tends to be more defensive during times of stress in the economy. So, you know, there are a lot of talks about, you know, recession, a lot of talk about hard landing or soft landing. So having exposure to healthcare sector, even though it hasn't done well this year, going forward can prove, you know, prudent given its defensive nature. And one of the main reasons why they tend to do well during stresses in the economy is government spending in programs such as Medicare continues no matter what. So, you know, if we do enter into a recession, the sector should provide defensibility. And, you know, getting that exposure, as I previously mentioned, you can get it through one of those three ETFs. Great. Thanks, Om. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. Uh, so I just want to thank everyone for listening in and sending in their questions each and every week. And a special thank you to both Matt and Ohm for, for providing some great insights. And with that, I'll wish everyone a great day and we'll see you next week. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Matt Montemuro, and Ohm Karmalker for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO MSCI India ESG Leaders Index ETF, ticker ZID, which provides exposure to diversified Indian equities. Our experts also discussed prudent ways to play defense. The BMO Canadian MBS Index ETF, ticker ZMBS, invests in Canadian National Housing Act, or NHA, mortgage-backed securities, and is designed for those looking for defensive income. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, 
or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFs.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.